0: Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the Back of the Range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to the Back of the Range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 222. Great to be back home in South Florida after a fun off week. Spent some time in Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, went to yellowstone jackson Hole. it's truly god's country out there like everyone says really had an absolute blast just i mean honestly just looking at the scenery looking at the mountain ranges if you haven't been out there or if it's been a while since you've been out there it's a great way to reset and recharge the batteries not to get all deep here but you know we tend to get wrapped up in our own lives our own priorities we spend a lot of time looking at our phones worrying about well worrying about the little things Well, when you're driving through the mountains in Montana, Wyoming, it serves as a reminder that there are much bigger things out there in the world, and sometimes you just need to take a break, open your eyes a bit, and appreciate your surroundings. So I'm back, re-energized, looking forward to the rest of 2021. The holidays are coming up fast, looking forward to some time with family, and you know, there is that pesky, lofty goal out there that I set for myself last New Year's Eve, to get to 250 episodes before the end of the year. Well, this is episode 222, so I got some work to do. There's still some time to get more stories out to you all from some of the best amateurs in the country, so it's time to make that final push. My guest on this episode is Allison Corpus. She is currently preparing for the final stage of LPGA Q-Series. It's a two-week, eight-round marathon to decide who gets status next year, On the LPGA Tour. We spoke about what she's doing to prepare, we spoke about her start in the game in Hawaii, her time at USC, and of course the Curtis Cup in Wales. I know I say it many times during these episodes, but again, there are so many nuggets of great information that you can adopt into your game and also share with juniors that you know that are looking to improve their game, perhaps find an opportunity to play collegiately. You know, Allison knows what she's talking about. She had a distinguished junior career. How distinguished? Well, when you play in your first USGA championship at the age of 10, you heard me right, 10, you might know what you're talking about. Allison played in the U.S. Women's Amateur Public Links at the age of 10. With that being said, let's get this episode underway. So thankful to have another member of the U.S. Curtis Cup team on the podcast. Allison, welcome to the Back of the Range. How are you?
1: Hi, Ben. I'm doing well. Nice to speak with you today.
0: Absolutely. I'm glad, uh, glad we could find some time before your uh, <laughs> your marathon two-week adventure at LPGA uh, Q Series is coming up pretty soon. And I, I know you're trying to get ready for that, trying to get, I guess, rested for that. When's, this is eight rounds over two weeks. When is the last time... Well, I mean, I'm speaking to someone that plays a lot of competitive golf, but still that's, that is a lot of golf, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. And even for someone who has played a lot of golf, um, all of our events are in college, at least are 54 holes. Um, so really the only time you play 72 or more is if you make a cut at like the USM or the U S girls junior. Right. So yeah, it is going to be a bit of a marathon. Um, but it is nice to go in with some experience from stage one to stage two, which were four week, uh, four rounds each.
0: Yeah, and you played well at, at stage two. And uh, I think tied, probably had a top ten in that stage two. I think someone clipped you by one shot, a fellow teammate at USC. But we're not going to talk about that. right? <laughs> You're okay with that, right?
1: We're, we're friends and i'm i'm also really happy that she played well at stage uh, two
0: i would imagine so so um no that'll be and that's that's aliyah and i'm gonna tear it would be terrible with her name let's see if i got it. aliyah abdulgani uh aliyah
1: but you did get the last name right, all right well, the, well, that's all it that yep. counts
0: how did i mess up the first name i can't <laughs> believe i did that so uh well we're going to talk a lot about q series but i definitely don't want to skip over just this incredible amber career and you know, really great to just add another member of this victorious U.S. Curtis Cup team to, uh, to be here at the back of the range. We're, uh, we're, we're getting close to, to the end. We have a, a couple of players that I still need to get, and one that I'm going to ask you, or many that I'm going to ask you about in the episode. But um, always like to get some information about where players get their start in the game. And I think I'm speaking to the first guest, that grew up in Hawaii, not on the mainland of the United States. So, most people that think about golf in Hawaii, they think about going on vacation or they think about seeing a professional tournament there maybe once or twice a year. You grew up in Honolulu. I can't, I'm, I'm a South Floridian, but I think you got me beat there as far as a childhood.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a great tourist location for sure. Right. Um, it's a little more boring than people would think just because. You know, I'm living there on a daily basis, okay. um, but very beautiful place to grow up. And we have a pretty strong junior golf association yeah. as well. So my dad is actually a huge golf fan. Um, he kind of stopped for a few years when I started playing really competitively. But we actually live on Coppola Golf Course, um, which is where they hosted an LPJ event this last year. Um, and so we would just go to the range. Uh, I have an older brother, so he would take me and my brother to the range sure. and I just really liked hitting golf balls. And this is when I was like four or five and then just kind of stuck with it. Um, and then really had a lot of fun with it. So once I turned seven, I started playing in local junior events and yeah, just kind of went from there.
0: How did and I guess it's, you're not thinking about it when you're six, seven, five, things like that. But I guess, you know, a lot of the guests I've had on the podcast, everyone's playing competitively, whether they're amateurs, they're, they're mid-am seniors, uh, you know, some professionals, but there's that moment where you move from, well, this is a fun thing I do as a kid to, I want to compete. I want to get into an environment where I'm, you know, I'm putting myself uh, up there against uh, other, other kids. Do you, kind of remember or do does you maybe have stories from your father where you kind of understood when this really took hold as far as, okay, there's a next level I want to go to?
1: Yeah, um, I think I became aware of professional golf at a pretty young age. They held the, it was the fields open when I was really young. It was out at Turtle Bay and then it moved to Coolina Golf Course. So we would go there and watch the ladies play. Um, back then I was mostly getting signatures, but gotcha. well, it was really you cool. To do. That's what you have to do. <laughs> yeah. But, um, we went out there and watched the ladies play and I think it was just really cool to see like, wow, like they've worked so hard. They're so good at this game and right. it's just so cool. You know, just being around professional golf in general is just awesome. So I think that was when I was like, oh, you know, like I want to get really good at golf. Um, and then, I started playing AJGAs when I was 12 and that's when I really started traveling to the mainland to play tournaments and that like Hawaii golf was pretty strong when I played it, but you just can't compete with, you know, coming to the mainland and seeing people who, who also compete at a really high level.
0: Sure. What was that, uh, what was that kind of culture shock or maybe instead of culture, just competition shock when you come over thinking, okay, I've had great success uh, you've, you've had great success, I mean, even as early as 10. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But, mm-hmm. I mean, great success. But when you come over to AJGA, that's a different world. And you're playing from, with players that have probably, I mean, they might have a more diverse playing experience than you do. There may be, it's easier, obviously, it's easier for them to travel throughout the country to see different types of golf courses, layouts, grasses, things like that. So, when you come over for the first time and you're like, oh, oh, what did I get myself into?
1: Yeah, I think for me, definitely the biggest change was just weather and grass. Um, so, Hawaii has a lot of Bermuda and Pascalum. And unless you're playing, you know, in warmer states like California or Florida, you don't see too much of that. So, yeah, I remember my first AJGA, it was in um, Georgia at Chateau Lawn. And um, it was just really cold in the morning. And so that was new for me, just having to layer up. Sure. Um, but I think the AJGA just, you know, like really fosters connections and making friends. Um, and even though it is competitive, I think it was nice to just come out and meet new people. I really always enjoyed that.
0: I spoke of this early, uh, early success. You uh, broke fellow, uh, you know, fellow, I'm guessing Michelle Wee had to have been an idol of yours growing up and, and she had the record of the youngest competitor at a U.S. Uh, Women's Amateur Public Links. You broke that record uh, at 10 years old and, and a handful of months. Um, you've obviously been no stranger to media attention from from a young age. I mean, having articles written about you at the age of I mean, gosh, I, I don't know when the first article was written about you, but I'm guessing it's seven, eight, nine, and obviously, as a ten year old playing in a USGA Championship, it, you know, uh-huh. I, it's not a uncommon or or unrealistic, uh, you know, reality of maybe experiencing burnout or maybe not knowing how to deal with something like that at a young age. A lot of people listening to the podcast have kids that are playing golf; they're not getting that kind of an attention as a ten year old. How, how did you and, and your family kind of put things like that in perspective where, you know, you're, you know, here you are, you're 23 years old, I believe is you're 23. Okay. So you're 23 yep. years old and you're getting ready to embark on a professional career. That's 13 years ago. You, you played in a USGA championship at that age,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: how, how have you and your family kind of managed expectations to get you to this point in a, you know, in, in, in the right frame of mind, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I think when I was younger, um, and my parents had just always said, you know, it's not really you against everyone else. It's you against the course. It's really about you trying to be the best golfer that you can be. And that's something that I've always worked towards. Um, I think it has helped to kind of be exposed to that as a younger age. And for me, it was never really burnout. It was definitely a lot of nerves. Okay. So learning how to, you know, just... Yeah, just be more comfortable, I guess, when the cameras are on. Um, There's definitely a learning curve for feeling comfortable when, you know, someone's with a camera standing right behind you as you hit a shot. Right. Um, That was terrifying for me the first (laughs) few times that it happened. (laughs) Um, And, you know, just kind of knowing what you do under pressure, that way when it happens again, you know what to think about or what to do to try to, I guess, counteract those feelings. Um, That's definitely been a huge help in my game, like growing up. Um, But as far as burnout, I think I have learned to really try to find a balance of practice where it's not too much, but it's enough to keep me prepared and really just trying to prioritize rest on really heavy weeks.
0: Yeah. And I'm guessing that's going to help you going into your professional career too, especially, I mean, you know, in a couple of weeks you're, you're fighting for a job, you're trying to get your, your LPGA tour card and you have to balance, uh, just like we talked about earlier, you know, you have to balance, okay, how much work do I put in to get ready for this? I can't just do it 24 hours a day. I need to keep myself rested and my mind clear because I have a I have two weeks of golf coming up and I need to be sharpest. So you, you have to know when to tell yourself, okay, I am prepared. I I don't need to overdo this. I do not need to hit a thousand four footers or right now.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, one thing that like college has really taught me is like, if you don't have it at the tournament, when you get there, you're not going to magically find it by practicing harder. Okay. Yeah. So I think, I mean, it always makes sense, you know, obviously to be practicing during a tournament, but, maybe an hour or so after the round just to you know work on a few shots that you didn't hit well or maybe just try to um, re redo a shot that you didn't hit as well as you wanted to but other than that it doesn't really make sense to be on the range grinding for like three or four hours after a round because you're, you're not going to find it so it really has been about finding what works best for me as I prepare in the weeks going into tournaments and not so much grinding once
0: I'm there makes sense. So it's more of a maintenance thing. You know, one, one thing that maybe you don't know, struggle with a couple bunker shots throughout the round. Let's make sure we clean that up afterwards. And then let's get out of there. Yeah,
1: definitely.
0: Nice. So you went to USC all American there had a great career. And I, I'm going to ask you a little bit about, about the team, but I, uh, you know, as someone that was really in the spotlight in junior golf for quite some time, I'm guessing your recruiting process was a little bit different than maybe other players because, uh, you know, your name was out there for quite some time. Do you remember when USC first became an option or were, did you fall in love with USC right off the bat?
1: Yeah. So my dad is actually a former Trojan. He went there for undergrad and dental school. So he was there for eight years. Uh-huh. Um, and so I never really looked at many other schools. I mean, I met a few other coaches, um, and then I toured a couple of college campuses when we had a tournament there and stuff um, but didn't really look at any other schools and what I met at the time coach Gaston was the head coach when I met her she was just so sweet and when I visited the campus I, I just really liked the campus and yeah I verbally committed my right before my sophomore year of high school started and yeah, it was just kind of my dream school, I think. Definitely influenced by my dad, but I I also really loved my time there.
0: Yeah. And you know, I just I just recently had Henry Shimp on the podcast at Stanford, and you know, he's working mm-hmm. on his masters, and you went back for your fifth year, your covid year to uh, pick up a masters at USC before leaving. I don't know why I do this to myself, inviting all these really smart college students on my <laughs> podcast to make me look slow. But, um, I, you know, I am doing it for the listeners, so it's all about them. But before we talk about USC and everything, or, or a little more about USC and your experience there, explain to me, and use, you know, relatively small words, what the, your master's degree is in global supply chain management. Walk me through that slowly so I understand because you know the Stanford uh, master's program I'm not sure what that is either so walk me through global <laughs> supply chain management
1: yeah so it's a pretty big umbrella term um, but how I found the program was I was a business administration major for my undergrad degree and I took an operations management class so I really enjoyed that um, but yeah like I said it's a pretty big umbrella term so it covers a lot of things from like logistics to planning and procurement pretty much every single aspect of the supply chain. So getting, so producing a product and then getting it to the end consumer as well as the after, you know, after the consumer buys the product, which it would be like customer service, all of that kind of falls under global uh, supply chain management. So um, I ended up focusing a lot on data analysis for my master's, but depending on the classes you take, you can really kind of narrow in your focus.
0: So what you're saying is that if for some reason things don't go well at Q series, you can solve all the supply chain issues that the country is facing right now with like <laughs> gas and food and supplies. You can, you can fix all that.
1: Um, Maybe not fix them yet. <laughs> um, but I mean, I've, I've been following a lot of that. Okay. News and using stuff. Cause I just find it really interesting. Yeah, of course. of course. Um, yeah. I just, I just think it's a really cool field. So it has been under fire a little bit because it hasn't been going well during COVID.
0: Right. But,
1: um, I mean, supply chain is kind of like that invisible support behind, right. behind yeah. everything. So yeah, I just find it really cool.
0: Yeah. If I, if I was in your shoes, I would, I would be looking at saying, man, I hope that I can hit this golf ball well. Cause I don't want to try and solve that issue. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but you, you have this great time at USC and, you know, I'm looking at, you know, just, kind of casually glancing at uh, at social media. And, you know, it's important, obviously, to, to get the right coaching staff and facilities and academics and, and all that stuff. It's very important. You're not just committing – but you're not just committing to a school. You know, you're committing to uh, several teammates for several years, different personalities and backgrounds and um, – all I see is a lot of smiles and piggyback rides and captions full of inside jokes that I'm not even going to try and decipher. Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing the golf, you'll be able to move on with golf on the professional ranks, but I don't think anything's probably going to be able to replace the, the teammates that you had. How much fun, it looks like you had a blast at USC. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, a lot of people say when you're looking at a college, look mainly at the coach and the facilities and academics but I kind of got lucky I mean those were what I considered when I chose USC and then I just came in and we had a really good team Um, when I was a freshman I had a few seniors that really took care of me um, and then I kind of tried to do that as I got older on the team um, and just made some really good friends and actually one of my best friends transferred from BYU to USC Halfway through sophomore year, so it was just so nice to finish out our time together at USC.
0: So let's pretend you're a, you're still a senior, and you're going to give some advice to incoming freshmen that are starting to play collegiate golf uh, next year. We've got a lot of a lot of them that listen to this podcast. Let's say you're going to try and take care of them right now. Give them some advice on how they can quickly acclimate in you know their first semester or their first year. Um, what are mm-hmm. things maybe? maybe you struggle with that you got help with or things that you saw your freshmen struggling with that you were able to kind of advise them on? I know it's hard to answer specifically, but maybe just what are a couple things that you think really helped you, um, you know, find success in balancing everything?
1: Just kind of going into college, knowing it's going to be tough at first. Um, I think I took a little too much on in terms of classes. So I, just felt like I, was, I didn't really find a balance of, like, golf and school until about maybe a month in. Um, so for me, that was pretty tough. And I think no one really realizes it, but every freshman struggles. And I think, you know, you see everyone having such a good time, and you're just like, why am I the only one struggling?
0: Right.
1: Um, and I, I, I kind of just wish that if I could redo freshman year, I would kind of tell myself, like, hey, like, you do belong here. Just relax. Take a deep breath everything's going to work out. Um, because I think I saw, you know, our, our team was very senior heavy when I was a freshman. So I'm seeing people at the end of their collegiate career, they have figured everything out. Yeah, and yeah. kind of comparing myself to them. And I think that was pretty intimidating for me. Um, so I wish, you know, I could kind of tell myself, like, hey, like, you'll get there. Just be patient, just put in the work. Um, and I was so sore my first month, um, <laughs> workouts killed me. <laughs> um, so just knowing that that's normal, um, and not stressing too much about it, I think is what I would tell, tell incoming freshmen.
0: Well, and you're also going into a program that has such a rich history and such incredible players. I mean, I think over 30 all Americans, you've won national, they've won national championships there. So you're also saying, okay, it, it I'm not just going in as a freshman, I'm going in as a freshman at USC where at some point there are going to be expectations that I'm going to need to fulfill or at least get to that level.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think what it's, what has, what I've realized over the past few years is like everything on the course is going to take care of itself. If you take everything off the course and take care of that. So it was just like, if your personal life is put together and you know, you're, practicing the right way you're not stressed about everything else in general you're going to take that to the golf course and be relaxed and hit good shots and as long as you're prepared you'll play well um and I think it's so easy to get caught up in so many other things at college like really trying to manage your time and try new things meet new people um and sometimes it, it it helps to just take a step back and say you know like this is where I need to improve this is where I'm doing well um, and just figure out a plan for how you're going to improve in the areas that you need help in.
0: I want, I know this, I've asked this question uh, many times before and, but you know, maybe not so much on the women's side, just, uh, I'm just curious, excluding the national championship, obviously that's the, that's the, the, the creme de la creme, but excluding the national championship, what is one, um, collegiate event that you played that you're going to miss the most? Um, and and not just the golf course because I mean you're going to play some yeah. golf courses in your in your time but uh-huh. I'm just, but when you go there you're like man that was fun like on the guy side a lot of them say the Cabo Collegiate in in Mexico, um, uh-huh. So that that's when they say quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I want to say um, everyone probably would say Hawaii,
0: but okay, yeah, that's uh... that's got to be different for you. <laughs> yeah, because I see yeah. I see all this I see all the guys going to Hawaii for for a for a tournament. And well, see, I'm, I'm kind of at a disadvantage. I live in South Florida and I look at that I'm like, well, maybe I'm going to go to that tournament and cover it and do some photography. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like, that's at least 10 hours in the air for me to get out there. And I'm just like, yeah, maybe I'm not going to go do that. I'm, I've been to Hawaii, <laughs> so I need to get that done.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's always a really fun event, um, but it, it, it has always felt a lot more like home to me and not yeah. something new. Um, I want to say for me, we played the, I, I'm not sure what the name of the tournament is, but I think it's the Silverado Showdown up in Napa.
0: Okay. That, um, I think that's right.
1: Yeah. So it's just a beautiful golf course in Napa. It's just such a beautiful place. Um, when we went, we had we had dinner with a former player who just, you know, like we met her family. Um, and then this And then I had some friends come out this year to see me at that event. So yeah, it's just, just a really fun place to be at.
0: I, I've always tried, you mentioned, uh, um, you know, being with a, or meeting a former player and, and I've always tried to not ask the question of, Hey, what was it like to play in a, you know, in U.S. open? And, and I'll ask you what a little bit about that later, you know, what, what was it like to do this? You know, like you've played in the, in the ANWA and the Augusta national women's amateur, I'm not going to ask you what was that like to play Augusta national? So I try and stay away (laughs) from that, but I do need to ask one question selfishly. What was it like to meet Will Ferrell? It
1: was so cool. It was just (laughs) a random day of practice. Um, And yeah, I don't even know who recognized him first, but we were, I think it was the start of a semester, so we were having, like, a team breakfast after we had practiced a bit, Um, and we were at Wilshire Country Club, and he was just out there playing around with some buddies, Um, so we just got to meet him, take a few pictures, and he was just a really nice guy, Um, and then I, I can't remember if he spoke at commencement before, after I met him, but I just remember watching that speech after it happened and really enjoying it as well. But he's he's just as funny in person as he is, I think, on screen.
0: Okay, how how funny is his golf swing? I don't want to put you in a bad spot here, but but I mean, how's the? Oh, it, we,
1: didn't, we didn't we didn't see him sp- golf. He you, was just stopping. Yeah, he was just stopping for some food
0: at the turn. Okay, he didn't see the action. Okay, that had no. Be, okay, well that that's still got to be a lot of fun there. Um. You uh, you've played in three U.S. Opens. Obviously, this is an excellent opportunity for you to not only learn a lot, um, you know, test yourself against the best players in the world. But, uh, you know, also, uh, like I said, you know, you want to learn about your game, learn where you are. You've played in three and I think you've had them kind of spaced out uh, two years apart. I think 16 was the first 18 was the second and then 2020 was the third. I think I have that correctly. Yeah. how how did your comfort level change as the as the years progressed? i mean when you look back at at playing in the first one you mentioned you know Mm -hmm. at first having cameras i'm guessing that first us open must have been terrifying as well
1: (laughs) that actually wasn't too bad because the cameras are far away um for me (laughs) the first camera experience you know, like you don't really see them. Like they're up by the green, right, right, right. Um, and they're kind of out of play. Um, for me, it was actually the U.S. Women's Amateur, where you know someone's holding the camera, maybe ten feet behind you. That was that was pretty scary. You're kind of talking um,
0: about me right now when I was at Westchester, <laughs> but I, I don't think I get that. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, so qualifying for the first U.S. Open, I think it was it was a bit of a surprise. Like I had been playing well, but you know, it's always tough to qualify. Um, And I had just been playing in the qualifier pretty much every year because even the qualifier is always going to be a good experience. Um, I qualified at YLI country club, which is where they hold the Sony open. So it's always at a really nice course, you know, so even that's a great um, experience. And then I think that kind of showed me that I am good enough to qualify. And then, actually playing at the U.S. Opens, they're they're just so tough. Um, I haven't made a cut yet, so hopefully next time I qualify, I will. But it it really does highlight where your game needs work. And um, so I've played the three U.S. Opens, and then I played the Hawaii LPGA event my senior year of high school. So I think even just comparing those, you know, that event to the three Opens, um, the golf courses just play so much tougher, and it's obviously a lot more mentally draining just because, you know, it's a major week. Um, But I think, yeah, all three were really awesome experiences and hopefully I'll be able to take those forward and learn, learn from that.
0: You've played in, I think about 16 USGA championships. Do you recommend for juniors or just anyone just to just kind of tear the bandaid off and just go get in those qualifiers just to, just, just to, I guess, get more comfortable in uncomfortable situations
1: yeah definitely i think um and also so at least for hawaii i don't know how it is for other states but they always just encourage juniors to just sign up just because the number of spots that you get for the qualifying depends on how big the field is right right so even if you don't think you're going to qualify one you might qualify just you know kind of career it for a day and make it and two, if not, you're helping other players get a better chance to make it.
0: Interesting. So I never way, thought of that. You're 100% right. Yeah.
1: So that's that's kind of how my dad saw it. Like, I even, so when I had qualified for the public links when I was 10, I was actually a first alternate. Um, and then at the time, I believe if you qualified for the U.S. Open, then you received exemptions to the amateur events. I think they've taken that away. But Sid Okino qualified for the U.S. Open and then that freed up the public link spot because she had been one of the qualifiers. So then that's how I got in. Um, But yeah, that's kind of why my dad signed me up is just our the Hawaii State Junior Golf Association was just saying, you know, it's a good experience, just play. And then we were always just trying to get more spots for more people. Um, And then when I got older, that helped me because then we had a bunch of juniors playing in qualifiers, which gave us more spots. So I would say if you can do it, it's, it's usually at a really nice course and then if you do make the championship that's also going to be an amazing
0: experience. Yeah. What was one of the first what was one of the practice rounds you played in, in maybe those three US Opens where um you found yourself okay, I need to learn the course, I need to get prepared personally, but man, what what an incredible experience to play alongside this professional where I, I can just soak up a bunch of knowledge and someone that just kind of sets you in, a, in the right direction.
1: Yeah, um, at my first US Open, I played a practice round with Atha Munoz.
0: Yeah.
1: um, And she she was just so nice, um, answered a bunch of questions that we had. And, you know, just talking about what life is like on tour and how she's managed it. um, So that was really awesome to play with her. And then I actually grew up playing junior golf with Megan Kang. We met at the U.S. Kids. Yeah. So it's been really cool. She's been on tour. She didn't go to college. She just turned pro right out of high school and has done really well. Um, So I, I've practiced, played a couple of practice rounds with her as well. And it's just so awesome to hear stories of tour life from her and how she's managed it. And yeah, just really learning a lot about what it's like to be traveling alone and, you know, just being on the road a lot.
0: Does any of that concern you? Because I know it's just going to be a, a it's a big departure, obviously, from, from the college life where you're, you're traveling with, with friends and you're all kind of on the same schedule. You, get, you eat together and you travel together and play golf together and everything is very much of a unit. And then in a blink of an eye, that's, that's all gone. And now you're in charge of, you know, when do I get up and where do I stay and where am I going to eat and where am I going to find this and everything? It has, you have to handle it all yourself any concern with that or is it just that's just the next chapter for you
1: yeah so I'm really lucky Um, my mom has actually been helping me out a lot she's she's been up here with me and traveling Um, so she helps with like cooking and stuff like that which has been really helpful Um, but yeah it's been it's been different just you go from college where your schedule is set for you you know like you have classes at a certain time you have practice at a certain time and like Even if you don't have a meal plan, we, we would get one meal a day and then just kind of, I would just kind of figure it out after that. Um, So still trying to work out the transition from amateur to professional and college to professional, but um, it's been fun so far and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing what comes next.
0: I like how you all of a sudden mentioned right off the bat classes and I completely forgot to mention that that should let you know how well I did in college. Just, just <laughs> you know right there. I completely forgot to even mention that there are classes you had to go to. Um, I guess one of the highlights and maybe the final highlight of your amateur career was uh, being selected to the Curtis cup team. Uh, we mentioned that earlier, Just, you know, I keep looking at the names that are on this team and I just was, it just murders row, just these incredible players. You were among the top three that got the automatic selection along with the, uh, the tandem from Stanford, Roseng and, and Rachel Heck. And, you know, you, you, you three had a, I wouldn't say an advantage, but you had it more of a unique experience so that you did not have to deal with the summer stress of, of trying to get a pick. So, you really don't have anything else to fall back on. It was really your only, uh, it was your only um, appearance on the Curtis Cup team. But how much nice, how nice was it just to get that automatic pick where your summer was left to, okay, now I can prepare. I don't have to go figure that every single tournament round is going to be a positive or a negative to getting onto that team.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest benefit for me was actually just because I was preparing for Q school. So how they selected the rest of the team was after the u.s women's amateur um and then i believe the early selections were july 20 26 or something like that
0: yeah that sounds about right so
1: yeah so i had planned to play the u.s women's amateur if i didn't have the spot locked up um and getting that auto selection actually gave me a little bit more time to prepare for stage one so i ended hey, up man. not playing the women's amateur and i just stayed in Palm Springs for a little longer and just kept playing the courses and played a couple of prep events for stage one, which I think was really helpful.
0: So you get there, you get notified that you're going to be on the team. You're going to Wales. Have you ever been to the UK before? Let's start there.
1: I've never been to Europe. So that was my okay. first Europe trip. Okay. Uh-huh.
0: Um, probably not a big deal with the length of the flight. Cause that's similar to what you face when you come from, uh, from come over to the mainland, but Um, I I know this from speaking with, I believe it was Brooke Matthews, but there was two waves of the team coming over. Uh, I think half the team was there first and the other half arrived second. Were you part of the first wave or the second wave?
1: No, we were me and Brooke were part of the same wave because we came from stage one so that's
0: right okay yeah so stage one
1: ended on Sunday and then we flew out Monday
0: morning okay so you were the you were part of the second wave that that arrived and the whole team is has signs held up and welcoming you to to Wales and everything like that yeah so you uh you go 3-0 and undefeated at the Curtis Cup team you're paired with uh I think it's Rose Zhang. Is that is that who we're talking about? <laughs> I mean, she, it's hard to find any any articles or anything about her. Um, all, all kidding aside, number one ranked amateur in the world right now. She's played in three collegiate events, and she's won all three of them. Uh, she seems to be doing okay. Um, <laughs> seemed to be a nice partnership there at the Curtis Cub. How how much fun is – and also you're playing, playing four ball. I, see, I would think that would be a lot more fun just to – play alternate shot with her where you know every every t-ball she hits for you to you know pick up in the fairway it's, it's right it's right there in the fairway but um you're f- just firsthand playing four ball with her that had to have been a blast
1: it was so much fun i mean she's the sweetest person ever and obviously a really good golfer so you can't really ask for more from a partner um and yeah we won our matches which is great um and yeah she's just awesome and i really really um, like her
0: a lot. It's kind of fun to watch what she's doing. And, and I, I think a lot of, I think I remember it was Keen or someone else was like, no, no, you can go ahead and turn pro. That'll be fine. Just go, go <laughs> ahead. That way you're not going to, you know, kick our heads in on the college side. Um, I I've asked, I've asked many people on the team. I don't know how this question got into the rotation, but, um, I started asking who, uh, who was the most entertaining or the funniest person on the team. And I won't I won't share the the common answer, but uh, I I have to ask: in, in who did you find to be the most entertaining person on the team?
1: Um, I just love Gina so much. I think she's so funny. But okay. every single girl on the team that week was so good. Or like our team chemistry was was amazing. Um, and I mean, I think I'm biased. I think Gina was probably the person that I was closest to going into the week. Sure. Um, but I left really really loving everyone so much.
0: Yeah. I, I've heard some stories that, that Ghana is, 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 is the show. She, she's, she's a little bit of, of the, uh, the entertainment on the team though. That's what I've heard. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, for at, sure. At, I would agree with that.
0: At least in charge of all TikToks. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, you head into Q series, like we talked about, which is going to be two, you know, two massive weeks. Um, I guess, you know, what do you know about the courses? What have you, uh, you know, kind of been preparing, uh, preparing for and working towards as you're getting ready for, for this big stretch?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I've never played the courses, but I'm playing a couple of prep events again for, for stage three. So I'll be able to see the courses ahead of time. Um, but really just been working on ball striking and then kind of trying to maintain the short game and trying to learn new short game shots. Um, if not for Q series, then for further down the road. Um, so yeah, just really trying to keep my game where it's at and just really get everything solid going into the week because I've heard that it's a ball strikers course. So just, yeah, trying to hit fairies and greens for the weeks.
0: Talk to me. You mentioned learning different short game shots. Uh, I I'm, talk to me about one that you're working on or talking about something that you're trying to add to your game like you said not just for q series but just for you know increasing mm-hmm. your skill set moving forward.
1: Yeah, um let's see. Going into college, I think I really only knew how to hit a bump and run. Okay. So anything that needed to get into the air was not very comfortable for me and not <laughs> okay. very good. Um so I actually started working on you know like higher shots and pitches i want to say my sophomore year of college and that that shot has kind of started to come around um and then my regular bunker shots have always been pretty good but longer bunker shots and then those like short sighted, really high soft spinny ones yep, yep. i've always struggled with so also working on those um and i don't think you can ever work on distance control too much so you know, just what I normally do is just drop balls at certain yardages and just keep hitting those yardages. Okay. And that, that seems to work pretty well for me. Um, but, yeah, like 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, um, like that range, just so that, you know, when it comes up on the course, it's a little more comfortable.
0: Are you more of uh, – do you incorporate using TrackMan or any, uh, you know, electronic uh, devices to kind of monitor spin and distance? Or, or are you more – into like you said dropping balls using feel and just using the visual uh you know confirmation like okay i I hit it this is what it felt like i see where it landed that's that's right or this is what it feels like to have it be six yards short is there anything Mm -hmm. that you use other than like you said just kind of dropping balls and and going by feel
1: i just use my rangefinder. okay um just just because that's what i use on the course like i'll just shoot the yardages um but yeah i mean i don't i don't own a track man and i i did have access to one when i was at USC. but i just I, it's so easy to get caught up in the numbers and i'm definitely the type of person that probably would get way too into them
0: yeah
1: um so i've tried to stay away from that um and then if i'm not hitting the ball as well as i would like i'll take a couple of videos but that's about it for for technology for me
0: yeah i i'm glad you kind of brought that up because i kind of see a lot of players getting kind of falling in love with numbers and spin rates and and looking at a at a led display to, or lcd display to see what uh, you know see what their shot did as opposed to maybe paying a little bit more attention to you know, the wind the grass and actually visually and, and physically feeling and seeing you know how the shot came off
1: yeah um i mean i i definitely think it's important like you know like when you do a club fitting and stuff you do want to make sure the numbers are right but Yeah, it is so easy to just get caught up in all of that.
0: Well, uh, I appreciate you coming on, Allison. I, I, you know, got a big step ahead of you. A lot of golf coming up uh, pretty soon, but uh, sounds like you got everything squared away. And obviously, great experience playing on that Curtis Cup team. Glad you're able to stop by the back of the Ranger. Wish you the best and uh, good luck moving forward.
1: Thanks, Ben. Enjoyed it.
0: And there you have it. Special thanks to Alison Corpus for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Best of luck to her as she enters the final stages of LPGA Q Series. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.